0: The UNHR Department of One, trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance. Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottel, a 20-year human resource professional ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your work force if you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR then this podcast is for you welcome back to the show thank you very much for joining us if this is your first time um, I am here to help you guys understand what is going on in the current landscape of human resources and changes in employment law and then also kind of You know, provide different unique opportunities and suggestions and ideas and a little bit of coaching and guidance on how some of these most common things that we run into in business um, can definitely be impacted positively and negatively as you guys pursue your HR needs. My name is Brenda. I am a practicing uh, human resource practitioner. I'm a consultant. I've been doing this for over 20 years now. I've seen a lot of different things done a lot of different ways. Um, I've been very fortunate to actually work with over 450 C-suite executives and over 400 companies, so both small to large fortune 500 i've been an employee of four, 5 fortune 500 companies so uh definitely have a lot of unique exposure as well so so thank you very much so in the studio um it is the holiday 4th of july weekend um we still have some afterburner <laughs> fireworks going off so you may hear a little pop every now and again that we're recording but that's okay um we've also got behind me is champ the lovable and yet snoring wonder dog and Lola is around here somewhere she is my uh, veteran comfort dog who will probably uh, periodically chime in as well Um, so without further ado uh, let's go ahead and start talking about some employment law changes across the nation today's subject is going to be (laughs) it may seem over talked about but uh, my goal is to help put a very unique spin on it Um, we're going to answer do some Q&A and then tell you guys how you can go ahead and follow me but first, before we do that, uh, something I want to share with you is that the information that you find available uh, through this podcast is really that it's for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice. I'm not an attorney, I don't play one on TV, right? But if you do have an employment attorney, if you, if you have a problem and you need an employment attorney, if you have a problem you don't have an employment attorney, you want to get some additional information. Reach out to me. I may be able to go ahead and refer one to you through our affiliates program with Jackson Lewis. So, and um, all they do is work. So, I'm very excited about today. Is um, they did a for those of you who don't know, um, I did. I've got another podcast series that I do uh, with Chira, who's been a guest on this show, and it's called "PR Lady and HR Lady Walk Into a Bar," and we had the most amazing interview today. With uh, David Rutherford from uh, Team Never Quit podcast and also known as Team Frog Logic or Mr. Frog Logic himself. So um, check that out. If you want some really, really, really good insight on what it is that we do on the HR front, leadership front, also on the PR side and communications and messaging and marketing, excellent episode. Um, You can follow me, and you'll be able to see when that's going to be released, and I'll give you that information in a little while. So, absolutely epic, epic interview, and I'm still, like, sitting on (laughs) cloud nine about it. Uh, It's crazy. It's definitely a fun show to do. Um, It is, it's meant to be lighthearted, entertaining, and serious all World in One, and holy cow did we ring the bell on that one this time around, so definitely very interesting. Okay, so a lot of changes, um, not so much in legislation that are going across the country, but, uh, some of the changes that have taken place, um, are going to be impacting employment posters. So, I know this is such a thrilling topic, but you know what? These little things are mandatory, and they are required. So, it's low-hanging fruit. It's easy compliance. Um, so I'm going to give you some updates, and, um, and also tell you how to go about getting your hands on employment posters without having to spend a load of money to do it. In addition to that, not having a, uh, getting on a list where you get all sorts of worrisome mail coming to you or messages that are like, holy cow, you're expired, and you actually really do have the correct uh, poster that's up on your wall. So, um, So our friends over at the Labor Law Compliance Center... Um, are pretty awesome at keeping people updated their website is www.laborlawcc.com again that is laborlawcc.com and if you enter in the code posters 2019 when checking out you will receive 25% off of your order. If you'd like to get that information online, you can jump over to our website, my website over at bestpractices.work, click on the affiliates link, and you will actually see uh, the code and can jump over to the link as well. So, so California, city-specific, not the state, but city-specific changes have occurred. So If you are in the cities, the following cities in California, you guys have poster changes. And they take effect July 1st. So Alameda, California. Berkeley. Emeryville. Fremont. Los Angeles. I'm not going to say this right and I'm going to apologize in advance. Milpitas. I think I said it right. Pasadena. Santa Monica. And San Francisco. Those cities... City-specific in California have poster changes. So the rest of the country, um, we have a couple other cities too. Chicago, Illinois specific, but also Cook County, Illinois as well, specific. You guys have poster changes. Uh, Folks up in Portland, Maine, you guys have a specific uh, change in employment posters. The state of Michigan as a whole you guys have a poster change that is effective in June. So everybody else that I've mentioned already with the exception of Portland Maine, everybody is effective, or excuse me. I pardon me. Portland Maine is included in the July 1st compliance. So all of these cities that I just named, you guys all have new posters effective and poster requirements effective July 1. Other states <clears throat> have had poster changes since June. So you guys need to get updated on this: the state of Michigan, state of Massachusetts, state of Maryland, and then Montgomery County in Maryland. In Maryland, you have a poster change. D.C. over in the District of Columbia, you have a poster change. And then also, if you are a federal contractor anywhere in the country, you guys also need to get an updated version of the federal contractor poster. So, um, look, folks, we've talked about it before. But um, Patchwork Law is really, 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 really becoming complex and a little complicated. So if you haven't yet figured out how to stay up to date on changes that are impacting your state, I will do the best that I can to get that information out to you guys on a, on a regular basis in and, and every episode. So the goal is actually producing one episode a week. So that way it's continuous information. I will do everything I can. It doesn't mean that I'll, my resources are 100%, but you know what, they're pretty good. And uh, I like to bring this information to you guys the best I can. Um, The other way is, you know, get out and and talk to your employment attorney, talk to your legal counselor, you know, join your local, uh, you know, Society of Human Resource Management chapter, because they do tend to bring out some other supplemental information. Um, But you know what, honestly, it doesn't it's just not a one-stop I even when I get my sources I have to go through uh, different channels and collectively it all comes together sometimes it's the same information but you know it each each time I read something on the same information has a different spin so everything makes sense and it comes together nicely Um, but it is definitely 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 important all right so today The topic we're going to be talking about is actually pretty interesting um, and it's kind of interesting how it came about um, and so you're gonna kind of get a little bit of my personal take in on this but I tend to stay very neutral when I give a professional opinion on things so when the whole hashtag me Too movement came out and what was revealed and what was going on with Hollywood a few years ago with rampant uh, discussions and cases and a lot of media exposure to sexual harassment um, or harassment um, the first thing went through my mind is oh my god this is gonna blow up so um, it's not that I don't buy it and I don't believe it in my little world and in the work that I do I don't see it as prolifically as we have been exposed to it on social media. And I think that is a very fair statement. So when it came out and it got big, I started thinking, it's like, you know, is this really like, how bad is this? Because I'm I'm hearing all of this, you know, this person did this, this person did that. And here's another case. And all of a sudden, here's another case. And it just, it got a lot of attention real quick in the, in it just started making me think, it's like, is this, is this really super seriously a massive thing? Or, or is this just, you know, the influence of media coming out? Because it, it just, it just seemed to be a lot more than what I thought it is. So I, I did some research on this. And first off, I want to, I want to get a couple of things squared away. I want to set a baseline for this episode And I want you guys to understand what sexual harassment is specifically. Now, harassment has a tendency to blur some lines within each other. Sexual harassment is very specific. Then you have harassment and then you have bullying. And general harassment can also include hostile work environment. So regardless of of what it is, when it's unwanted and it's pervasive, Those are two things that are very specific to anything dealing with harassment, hostile work environment, bullying, right? So, and bullying actually has a very specific legal definition to it as well. I'm not going to get into the bullying right now. I'm only going to focus in over on the sexual harassment side of things. So the definition of sexual harassment is any type of activity um, of a sexual nature. It could be a joke, connotation, physical contact that is unwanted and pervasive as an advance, right? Now, there's a lot of spins to how somebody may want to say that definition, but to break it down and make it very simplistic, that's pretty much what it is, right, in a nutshell. That's one side of it. Then there is a very specific other side to it, which is called quid pro quo. And quid pro quo is Latin for this for that. So that is... uh, I wouldn't say it's old-school but it's also probably the most one of the most recognized um, between the two in addition to both of them are most recognized but definitely in the early days it really was more recognized as if you do this for me I'm gonna do that for you right so if you do me some form of sexual favor I'm going to give you a raise I'm going to give you extra hours I'm going to put you in this position I'm not going to rat on you and throw you under the bus right so it's a pretty nasty uh side of of what this whole entanglement is and um so that's why i just want to make sure you guys you had at least a definition and a baseline of where we're coming from specifically so so as i was thinking through this and, and it was interesting because i got into a conversation i actually went out to lunch with somebody and um it was meant to be a very social casual lunch which Really got kind of interesting and turned into a lot of questions being asked at me about sexual harassment and it was on it was a gentleman that I was having lunch with um that was an acquaintance and i I just kind of found it interesting the fact that these questions were coming at me in the nature that they were coming at me from <laughs> so it really really kind of had me thinking so what I can share with you is my research my what I'm seeing and you know my own personal conclusions so so the conversation at lunch was a lot about you know how like it seems like you know men are getting an unfair shot they're taking an unfair hit and to some degree I actually I I agree with him a little bit because there are men out there who do things in the workplace that impact those men who are not and they're being honest and 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 that does absolutely take place but not as much as i think people realize and the numbers are really interesting and that's what i and that's what really got me digging into all of this i wanted to find out like how how bad this was so each year the eeoc which is short for the equal opportunity commission um they actually put out a report that um, is uh, based off of enforcement and litigation statistics and so i went back and i actually pulled the report to look at where we were for the year right so the table that i'm looking at shows charge data for sex-based harassment allegations including charges alleging sexual harassment and it does not include charges filed with the state or local fair employment practice agencies. So the Equal Opportunity Commission is at the federal level and then, then state and local municipalities also may or will have some form of fair employment practice agency that an employee can also report to. So this data actually spans um, going all the way back to 2010. Um, so it's something that, like I said, they release on an annual basis. And, and what they, in the type of information that they include is the number of receipts that they receive in a fiscal year, the percentage of charges that are filed by mails, the number of resolutions, and then they break it down into resolution by type. So they talk about settlements, withdrawals that have benefits, what is considered administrative closure, which means that the EEOC for whatever decision has gone and actually decided to close down the case, um, anything deemed as a no reasonable cause and those that have reasonable cause, there's also some, um, some metrics on conciliations and merit resolutions but, and then also monetary benefits. So I'm not going to focus in on the conciliations and the merit resolutions but I am going to highlight some, some other facts. So in order to set this up I want to share with you give you some statistics because I am a numbers person and so this in my opinion is one way to look at how big a problem is and something that um, we've mentioned before in previous discussions is that you know in HR we can quantify everything in business um, you know there's always a way to quantify contribution of any kind of an individual and a lot of that is metric based performance but our analyses also include things like compensation, you know, risk and welfare, number of safety incidences, and all this stuff, right? So understanding impact of a particular claim or charge or litigation or legal action is certainly something that is quantifiable as well. It doesn't mean, and I want to put a yeah but in here, I also don't believe it means that it is the whole story and I'll tell you why I say that in a little bit but first I want to go over the numbers so as it sits right now one of the first things that I was curious is about how many people do we actually have working in the United States at this moment that includes citizens non-citizens that are foreign nationals permanent residents right I wanted to know how many people are working in the US as it sits right now we have 155 million people working, almost 156 million people working in the United States right now. So to make the math easy, it's 155.7 million people, all right? Then I took a look <clears throat> at the number of um, charges filed and resolutions, all right? So believe it or not, in the statistics, this year there. are and it looks like every year, there are more resolutions than there are actual receipts of complaint. I'm not 100% sure why that number is. That that may very well be that they're considering case over coming from prior years. Not 100% sure, but that's my guess. Now the table that I'm looking at shows charge data for sexual harassment allegations which include harassment of a sexual nature, harassment allegations are actually only included if they are also alleged in a particular charge as well. So the table according to the EEOC has been harmonized with other data uh, on the site and only show charges filed within the EEOC. So for the tables that I'm looking at from earlier fiscal years, we'll also show charges filed both with the EEOC and also with Fair Employment Practice Agency partners, and you can actually go research that as well. So we're only going to look at fiscal year 2018. So the number of receipts is 7,609 charges made or complaints made to the EEOC in regards to a sexual harassment case. Of that... 15.9% of charges were filed by males. For 2018, the EEOC had 7,986 resolutions in the books in regards to harassment charges. 698 were settled. So now we're looking at resolutions, right? 698 were settled, 691 withdrew with benefits Six, 1,666 claim of those charges were closed by the administration and here's a number that will really blow your mind and this is kinda what I want to talk about a little bit. 4,501 were closed with no reasonable cause and we're going to talk about that. Of those cases the total that were received 430 were of reasonable cause. Now, when these things close and there's penalties, right, it doesn't always necessarily in this chart um, the monetary benefits in the millions they don't include monetary benefits obtained through litigation but these are monetary benefits that have been awarded and it totals at $56.6 million in monetary benefits. But I want to take a step back into the reasonable cause. And part of this is, I've seen this years and years and years, I've had a, a number of conversations with other HR professionals, uh, particularly some of my mentors as I was in HR Sprout growing up, and that is why would we have such a high number of no reasonable cause? Part of that is, is that not everybody understands the definition of sexual harassment. That's part of the reason why I wanted to give it to you. And just because somebody says a single joke, or makes an inappropriate gesture, or makes a... you know, slight a hand or you get what I call elevator eyes, right, when somebody gives you a compliment and you kind of feel weird because they're looking you up and down and their eyes are going up and down like an elevator and it's kind of like a ooh kind of thing, right? That doesn't always meet the definition of a sexual harassment claim. That is poor judgment. <laughs> And there's a lot of that that goes on out there, right? Somebody can say something in, a, in, in today's world where information is, you know, widely out there. We, we you know, there's a lot of people that have viewpoints on, you know, how people interpret other communication from the individuals. Um, you know, it, it, a lot of people can get very... Uh, easily offended they are a little bit I think they're a little bit more sensitive as I'm hearing things and I'm hearing directly from people and I'm not calling people sensitive but this is what I'm hearing and I'm relaying it to you guys so I'm, you know get this picture that's being built right but definitely over the years people don't always understand what the full definition of sexual harassment is so somebody wants and this does happen somebody wants to get back at somebody at work they're going to go down, and they're going to cause problems, and they're going to go file an EEOC. That is not to say that it doesn't happen, because it does, and I know it does for a fact. There are cases that I've been involved in. There's cases that I've studied. Um, there's cases that my clients have been involved in. And a matter of fact, I've even had employment firms reach out to me and want me to get involved as um, a potential investigator into, you know, allegations. So I, I know it's out there, okay? We know it's out there. We know what it looks like as professionals. We we know it when we see it. We know it when we smell it. And we know that we have to manage it and we have to handle it. But it is not uncommon that an individual goes to file a claim with the EEOC and that drives these numbers up. So when you put the numbers together, and I'm thinking, okay, so of the ones that are reported, the number comes down to, percent of the population that actually has filed a claim so are there a lot of people that are not reporting yeah I think there are I think there are a number of people who are going through situations to where they either accept bad behavior they're afraid of losing their job they're afraid to take action um, they aren't willing to risk the embarrassment that comes with that and those are the unknown numbers and I think it is much larger than what is actually reported now that's the reason why I say I think it's a bigger issue because there is a significant number of people that have not reported it so I'm going to give you an example Um, a couple of years ago, I had a former direct report of mine, somebody that was on my team, reach out to me <clears throat> and ask me um, for some of my advice on what she should do. So she had a manager that came up, that would regularly come up behind her, wrap his arms around and he would literally put his hands on her breasts. And this happened many, many times. And so when she told me this, I actually um, had to pick myself physically up off the floor because I couldn't believe this person was actually telling me that this is what was absolutely happening. And um, the more we talked, she's like, I'm not really quite sure what I should do, if I should do anything. And I'm like, well, okay, so how long has this been going on? And she goes, about a year and a half. And I'm like, okay, all right. Uh, how many times a day does it happen? She goes, pretty much almost on every shift. But you know what? I gaff it off as a joke. And it's, you know, it's not really even that big of a deal. Um, It doesn't really offend me. But, um, you know, I think maybe I should do something about it. So, you know, these types of situations, believe it or not, are out there. Um you know, I've I've seen them, and not only just this one, but I've seen them even throughout my own time of, of working and growing up, that people have a tendency to accept bad behavior and not report, and so that inevitably starts telling whoever's engaging in poor behavior that this somehow may be okay, at least it is with this person. So, guarantee you that when that employee, my former employee, um, now becomes a problem because I know her well, and she actually was a problem, um, when I had her, that she's going to turn around and she's going to now use this against a company. So it makes things complicated. It makes things different, uh, difficult, excuse me. And, um, Although, you just want to, like, bang your head into the wall and say, why didn't you tell me this before? How, why did you allow this to go on before? Which is, you know, obviously my question. And, you know, her explanations were like, well, I just, you know, kind of thought it was a joke and really wasn't all that big of a deal. And it's like, but you know what? It is a big deal. And and I'm not here to do a whole hashtag MeToo campaign, but there's appropriate behavior and there's inappropriate behavior at work. And call me a prude if you want. That's fine. But, you know, what? You, you can't go running around you know, impacting somebody like that because those things do impact people um, very, very, very badly. And, you you know, I mean, even myself, I've experienced, you know, bad behavior. I wouldn't call it harassment, but I've experienced some pretty bad decision-making in my life. I was telling you, you know, I worked at my own family business. My my grandparents opened up a a store years ago um, in Hawaii, and... You know, we had an employee that would come up and constantly put his arm around my shoulder. I'm like, get off of me. You know, and this was around the time of Anita Hill and, you know, the Clarence Thomas hearings. It was just right after this. And I was just telling him, I say, go away. Stop putting your hands on me. And back then we were taught, you know, you need to say something. Well, now you don't have to say something. But I said something. I'm like, get your hands off of me. And, you know, he did it enough where I told him, I said, look, I said, here's the deal. I said, I'm not saying this because I'm the granddaughter of the company. I'm saying this because now you are invading my personal space. You have the whole time. And if you don't stop, I'm going to do something about it. And you're not going to like it. And you're going to have a very bad day. Of course, I didn't say it in that manner. <laughs> I said it in a little bit different manner and <laughs> probably not really HR friendly. But that's okay. He got the point, right? And uh, But, you know, I took action and found out that other employees were experiencing the same thing. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we were let them go. Um... You know, but what happens is when somebody is engaging in that behavior, it it leaves a mark on the individual. It really, really does. It drives their self-confidence down. It drives their work performance down. Um, And if you don't know what's going on and you see somebody's behavior starting to change, there is something going on in the background. And this is one of those things that, If they are so afraid that they're going to lose their job or they're going to be pointed out as the bad guy and they're already embarrassed about it, you know, they feel like something's been taken away. I mean, it does. It impacts you and it rides with you for quite a while. Um, And it's that inappropriate and it's an offense to that individual. You know what? Their performance is going to suffer from it. The worst part about it is if those things are going on and you're not aware of it, you as a company, you as a leader, you guys are still held accountable for this. You guys still have skin in the game, whether you have the knowledge or not. And that's what makes this kind of scary, because there's something called individual liability, and it exists at the company level, and it exists at the individual level. So if a manager, for instance, was aware that something was going on and failed to do anything about it and there, and just about at every state level, you're going to find this to be true that if you fail to do something about it you are now acting in an unlawful manner so that the employee can go after the company but then can also separately name the manager in a separate lawsuit as well. So individual liability comes into place and individual responsibility. So it's important that you guys figure out how to protect yourself and I'm going to give you a couple of best practices to put into place. If you want to talk about this more Jump on the website, set up some time with me. I'm happy to do this because these are very big. You don't want to be part of the formula of the sum of $56.6 million in monetary settlement benefits. Because I can tell you right now, particularly a small business, if you get a lawsuit like this, I mean seriously, spend $350 having the conversation with your employment attorney rather than spend $350,000 defending a case like this because it's going to be a lot more than that too. It's going to be expensive and those are the kinds of things that can shut companies down because they're not taking the time to do this. So here's three things that you can implement. The first thing that you implement is you want to make sure that you have a policy in place. Either a freestanding policy or you have it in your employee handbook. If you don't have an employee handbook, again, you can reach out to me and we can certainly put so, you know help you put something together. If you don't have a policy on this, again, reach out to me, we'd be happy to help you guys put something together, right? So, have it in your handbook. So, you want to make sure that it is a known expectation in the company. The second thing is that you want to train to it. And that's why you guys go through annual harassment prevention training. Uh, every year if you work in a company um if you are an entrepreneur and you own your organization you own your own company you're gonna want to put this in place so you have it in a policy and you teach to it the third thing is that you coach to it when you become aware of a situation you have to address it so if you do these three things consistently and you do them well which means that you've got the right tools the right knowledge and the right people and support structure in place that can help you work through a sexual harassment investigation, sexual harassment case, and an internal resolution on this. It is going to be a lot easier to prove that if an employee continues to, to you know exhibit bad behavior, once you have been very good at doing those three things, what you are going to be able to do is to demonstrate that it's individual will, not... On behalf of the company so it gets a lot dodgier than what I just gave you but those are the three targets that you definitely want to get out there usually that's something that I talk to my clients for and I bill them but you know what this is important big stuff it's expensive important big stuff and it is underreported important expensive big stuff so I want to make sure that you guys have the right kinds of information again if you if you want to talk about it you know, jump on the website, book some time with me. I'm, I'm happy to sit down and talk to you about how you guys can help mitigate risks surrounding sexual harassment. So I got a very interesting question posed to me today um, that I f- wanted to share with you because it's very relevant. And um, for those of you that have been listening to the show, you know that um, I do get questions, and, and I like bringing them forward, and if you have a question, you can submit your question on the bestpractices.org website by clicking on the podcast link from the menu, and down towards the bottom of that podcast page is a submission form for you to go ahead and post your question, which I may wind up reading um, and answering on an upcoming episode. So today's question is is interesting, and the question is, what things could be considered harassment in an office setting that are normal anywhere else? and I get these questions every now and again where I have to think about it and like okay so I I, they wrote it in a way and I and I kind of have to digest it a little bit and like okay I think they're asking me it this way and and this is certainly one of those things so I will say this (laughs) because I'm I'm not 100% sure where where the person that's asking the question is coming from but I will say it this way any company that is going to consider something as harassment first and foremost should have it clearly spelled out in the policy so you guys should have an anti-harassment policy you should have a sexual harassment policy and those things specifically identify in the distinctions between sexual harassment bullying um, you know har- uh, <laughs> the words are not coming to my mind uh, we just talked about it a minute ago Hostile work environment. There we go. Sorry. Uh, In in an office setting that some people would say are normal somewhere else. If you don't have a policy in it, then you know some of that bad behavior is going to start coming into the norm. And I'll give you an example. I had uh, a client of mine actually call me and had some concerns about putting together um, an employee handbook. And I said, well, what is your concern? She goes, well, we swear around here all the time. Like, okay. Said, you know, there's no law against swearing. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's your culture. And um, she was a little concerned at the fact that some people may get easily offended if they come into an environment they're not used to swearing. You know what? Very reasonable thing to think through. Um, certainly don't knock her, it, you know, the type of environment that they were at the time. Uh, you know, it's not going to be uncommon. And, and, and I won't say which one it is, but nonetheless, it was one where you get your hands pretty dirty. And, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, jobs where you don't get your hands dirty, they don't have the same thing. You know, it, it exists everywhere. So I, I explained to her, I said, that's fine. I said, you know, you, you, if you don't put in a handbook, then be prepared for the time when you hire a minister's wife who constantly is being exposed to somebody who's behaving in an inappropriate manner and I say ministers wife because they had a woman who applied and her husband they interviewed her and her husband is a minister and um, you know I said you know do you really think that that's a good fit so I, my question to her was what do you think you can actually fix and, you know, is the woman qualified? Because now you're putting yourself in a really bad position. You now knowingly have bad behavior going on in your workforce. And you are now in a position where you have to, you know, hire the best candidate. And right now, if she's the top, then, you know, you got to hire the one person that is most qualified for the position to make sure that you're adhering to fair selection practices. And so... um, So it was definitely a very significant thought process and uh, time for reflection on how they were going to adjust their behavior. So, it so things so behavior, and I'm looking at behavior. I'm not looking at individuals' character, right? Because those are two different things. And when you're when you're a lot of companies and a lot of leaders will sometimes get behavior mixed in with character and an individual's character most likely will define their behavior but you know when you're talking about progressive discipline and performance management you're talking about addressing undesired behavior and turning it into desired behavior and that's ultimately the goal you're never going to change a person's character right it's like you know trying to trying to address somebody's attitude (laughs) towards something it's not going to work you have to focus in on on the behavior and if you don't if you don't believe me try going up to a four-year-old and telling them that they have a bad attitude because i I promise you it's going to blow up in the face right but if you focus on the behavior and that's what these and that's what this is all about is making sure that the appropriate behavior is in place. And if you're bring in somebody who could potentially get offended, well I got news for you. You you've you've created your own problem and it's gonna be really, really tough to get out of. It doesn't, doesn't and get out of it meaning resolve it, not get out of it as lying, cheating, stealing it out, you know, trying to not have accountability towards it. I'm talking about how you're gonna manage it and how it's going to affect your workplace. So that was a really good question. Um just remember that what is deemed appropriate in one company and acceptable is not in another. Or even in groups, even in, you know, uh, different types of settings, just remember it's not not everybody views the world the same. So you guys are definitely going to have to make sure that you put uh, some things into place. So thank you very much for reading, uh, for sending me that. That was a great read on the line. It was totally appropriate to you know, today's topic. Um, Got some other fun stuff coming up for you guys. Um, Jim is coming back. I know I keep dropping this little snippet. Um, He's coming back soon in the next several episodes. Um, for those of you who uh, would like to hear a really awesome podcast I mentioned it before again I've got the new one that has just come out a PR lady and HR lady walk into a bar you can find it on your favorite podcast station um, we've got David Rut Rutherford on as our very first guest he's so that that episode is going to be released uh, soon in the upcoming weeks and what a phenomenal episode that turned out to be so I'm pretty excited. And if you want to know when these things are coming out, you guys can follow me. You can follow me on Instagram and at Facebook at Best Practices in HR. And uh, I want to thank you again for coming back time and time again. Um, The audience is growing. We're getting really great questions, uh, getting a lot of positive feedback that, uh, you know, we're really kind of hitting the needle and we're hitting the mark on a lot of these uh, different subjects that are pertinent and uh, can't wait to continue. And I look forward to talking to you guys next time. Thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. Seriously, it's humbling. It, it's it's warming at the same time. And 17 episodes in, I cannot wait to see uh, what happens as we climb and reach towards our next landmark of 25 podcast episodes. Have a great one, folks. Take it easy.